Hey everyone, Jason here. I am the My Climate Journey show host. Before we get going, I wanted to take a minute and tell you about the My Climate Journey, or MCJ as we call it, membership option. Membership came to be because there were a bunch of people that were listening to the show that weren't just looking for education, but they were longing for a peer group as well. So we set up a Slack community for those people that's now mushroomed into more than 1,300 members. There is an application to become a member. It's not an exclusive thing. There's four criteria we screen for. Determination to tackle the problem of climate change. Ambition to work on the most impactful solution areas. Optimism that we can make a dent and we're not wasting our time for trying. And a collaborative spirit. Beyond that, the more diversity, the better. There's a bunch of great things that have come out of that community, a number of founding teams that have met in there, a number of nonprofits that have been established, a bunch of hiring that's been done, a bunch of companies that have raised capital in there, a bunch of funds that have gotten limited partners or investors for their funds in there, as well as a bunch of events and programming by members and for members, and some open source projects that are getting actively worked on that hatched in there as well. At any rate, if you want to learn more, you can go to myclimatejourney.co, the website, and click the Become a Member tab at the top. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is Jason Jacobs, and welcome to My Climate Journey. This show follows my journey to interview a wide range of guests to better understand and make sense of the formidable problem of climate change and try to figure out how people like you and I can help. Today's guest is Mohit Yadav, co-founder at Bolt, India's largest electric vehicle charger network. Also, you might notice that I'm not Jason. This is Cody Sims, Jason's partner at MCJ. I did today's interview with Mohit at Bolt, and you'll hear me take on episodes here and there going forward. I was excited for today's episode because we haven't spent much time on India here on the My Climate Journey podcast, and given India's population and emerging economy, how the Indian economy evolves in the years to come will be critical to global emissions reduction. And of course, India is already unfortunately feeling the effects of climate change today in a major way. With transportation being a major global emissions factor, Bolt is on the front lines of helping scale EV adoption across India today. We have a great discussion about the state of the EV market in India, Bolt's business model, their future expansion plans, and how Bolt came to be. I was surprised to learn that they started with a pure software solution as an operating system for electric vehicles, and the charging strategy evolved out of that. I learned a ton, and I hope you do too. Mohit, welcome to the show. Thank you, Gary. Nice to be here. Well, I'm, I'm so excited to have you on here because obviously EVs are a massively growing market all around the world, and obviously India itself is a massively growing market within that space, and you're right at the intersection. We haven't done a lot on South Asia or India as it pertains to the My Climate Journey podcast, so I know I have a lot to learn, and I'm sure our listeners are excited to learn from you as well. Yeah, fantastic. Always excited to share what we are doing here for emerging markets and how we are trying to solve the for climate and yeah, excited to be here and what our journey has been like. Yeah, look forward to the podcast. Well, why don't you start with just an overview of what is Bolt? So yeah, at Bolt, what we are essentially doing is we are building technologies and infrastructure that accelerate EV adoption 
all over and we have a specific market that we are really targeting it's the emerging markets where you have these millions and millions of uh, two wheelers that are running around and if you look at it majority of the solutions that have come for evs or or in general have been just a derivative version of what has been really done for cars for you know western markets so what we really feel is that the solutions that would you know enable or accelerate this ev adoption in emerging markets have to be built here so when i say that bolt is building technology and infrastructure that accelerate ev adoption what i really mean is that we build technology that can make any vehicle smart so it's like kind of an android for evs like evs are just like computers on wheels and people would want you know software based features we've seen this with tesla and cars so people want a taste of that in two wheelers as well when i talk about infrastructure we are building uh, in fact we already have the largest peer to peer charging network in india with i think more than 10000 charging points in 100 plus cities and uh, we are growing rapidly it's a peer to peer network it's kind of a different approach from what anywhere everyone else is taking where people just deploy charging points at their own cost and they you know do the service and maintenance we believe more in a peer to peer approach where people would be setting these charging points up by themselves and they would be able to share them with others when they are not using so kind of an airbnb kind of model here so we are sitting on both sides if you look at from the energy perspective on the dispensation side the supply and, and the demand side of energy so really in a good position and it's like a chicken and egg problem where evs need charging points more charging points more evs so it's like a virtuous cycle we have turned that chicken and egg problem more into a virtuous cycle i would say Wow, so well, so much to unpack. I certainly think of you all as as really building out a large EV charging platform across India to start and I assume global aspirations beyond that. Don't know anything about the plans you have on the, you know, sort of helping vehicles become smart themselves and so we have a lot to discuss to lean into all of that. Why don't we start with your background? So, you know, if I understand you're based in Bangalore, I believe, you have a strong tech background with uh, stints at Oracle and Adobe. Walk me through how you went from working on software tech to building out a a large EV platform or the largest I think EV platform in India and also how you met your co-founder Jyoti and and his background as well. Absolutely. Let me tell you a little bit about ourselves because we go way back. Me and Jyoti are batchmates from college in fact the same hostel same dorm so the camaraderie is really strong. So we know each other for about 15 years now. you know we were in that point in our lives that you are out of college and when you're just out of college in india everyone gets a bike just like everyone gets a car in america you get a two wheeler in india and me and jodi used to go for all these bike rides all the time and we saw that it was very difficult to ride a bike and there were no assistive features or to you know nothing to help us when we were riding these bikes you couldn't see the map you can't take calls and you're just riding a bike right that's the only thing you're doing but when we looked at cars they had really evolved you had navigation systems all the all things fancy so we really started off as you know improving the experience for the person who's riding a two wheeler and the two wheelers hadn't really evolved and this journey i think started in 2016 starting we you know registered our company in 2017 but that's how we started we thought you know we'll make something cool which makes our lives uh, solve for us first and then we'll you know solve for others so that's how the idea started we first started with making an augmented reality helmet which you could wear you could see the map floating all the augmented reality stuff all the 
because as engineers, you like to build something very cool, right? So we built that. And when we tried selling it, it was just too expensive. And we quickly realized for any technology to be really successful in the emerging markets, it has to be price competitive. And it has to solve for a plethora of different permutations and combinations of hardware if you really look at it. So that's when we really realized that we should be building a operating stack that can make any bike smart. So we built that first. All right. And then we went out and started selling and we realized that no one really cares about, you know, all these smart features in a country like India because everyone is just obsessed with mileage. Right. They just want to see how much you get per gallon or something like that. So we thought, okay, how do we go from there? We didn't have any pedigree. It was just two software guys entering into the OEM world. And, you know, we just started like a year ago. The, uh, we went to all the big OEMs and they're like, you know, you started one year ago. What if you shut down? My vehicle is going to be there for 10 years. Where do we go from there? Right. So the big guys didn't really listen to us. So we approached the small guys who were selling, you know, a couple of thousand vehicles in India. And we gave this offering to them. And those guys were actually selling EVs. They were selling electric vehicles. Mostly two-wheelers and three-wheelers, EVs. Yeah. This entire context is all about two-wheelers and three-wheelers. Uh, yeah. So that's the premise here. They were selling two-wheelers in India. And what they were essentially doing was you know, just getting these vehicles from China and assembling it in India and just uh, you know, selling them. So we took a trip to China, took a lot of trips out to China after that because that uh, used to be the supply, holy grain of supply chain in 2017. We went there and saw that about they were like in India, if you look at it, in the ice world, I think there were some maybe 10 OEMs making vehicles, right? We went to China, 97% of two-wheelers were already electric. They had started on this journey about 15 years ago. And another interesting thing, there were 3,000 manufacturers of OEM. We realized how ridiculously simple two-wheelers and three-wheelers were to make. And the real differentiation will come via, via software and personalization. And our software got a lot of traction in China. In fact, we... We first built our stack specifically for selling inside China because the condition was different back then. Now, obviously, India and China are in different situations situation geopolitically. So we went there and people were really accepting because they had seen they had seen the normal EVs running for 10, 15 years. There was a huge number of OEMs who were making these EVs, but no one really had the software capability to make them smart. Right. So people were looking for the next. And define, like when you say make them smart, what does that mean? So it just behaves like a Tesla. Like you can turn it off using your phone. If you come ne near the EV, it'll turn itself on. Different riders have a different riding profile. If you give it to your kids, you can reduce the maximum speed of the vehicle. Basically, it would just get personalized the way you really like. So all the peripherals and... So it wasn't yet about m mileage or range or anything yet. It was just purely about, you know, helping you control the vehicle and have, have remote sensing on what's going on absolutely. with the, with the absolutely. bike. Absolutely. Because when it comes to EV, the question of, question of mileage is already kaput, right? <laughs> like the cost savings are anyway huge. So that's not the, the primary question everyone asks in a cost sensitive economy, if you look at it. So the question of mileage is gone. What is the next big thing you're looking at? So we saw people move from phones to smartphones, TVs to smart TVs. And it was, I think, very obvious. It's going to be a general progression that move, people move from, uh, you know, normal EVs to smart EVs. And we got very good traction in China, integrated WeChat, Baidu, everything when we started. Yeah, and it took us about two to three years to make an operating system that could run across any electric vehicle. So if you look at the people who are building electric vehicles right now in India, like Aethers and Ulas of the world, they are more on the lines of an iOS 
or Blackberries or Samsungs when the smartphone revolution started, right? They have a completely vertically integrated stack. But now that we reflect back on the smartphone revolution that happened in 2008, how many of those companies are really surviving, have really made it big in the software game? It's really iOS and Android, right? And why Android is really successful in economy in emerging economies is that you get a basic feature set even at like a 10,000 rupee price point and even like a Samsung Note kind of an experience. So the platform provides almost 80 to 90% of the functionality on a plethora, on a wide range of products. So that's what we really thought that we have to build a solution that runs from a $1,000 bike to maybe a $10,000 bike as well. Awesome. Okay. So you started out with, you know, crazy experiments around heads up display on helmets and decided, oh, let's do, let's do something more practical. So you ended up building this OS that helps EV OEMs offer smart features to their customers. Was the end consumer app that they were offering a Bolt app or were they branding it as their own app on a per OEM basis? So it was exactly like Android. So they had their own app, which was co-branded. It said, we, were, we used to be called RevOS before this. And uh, the name was very complicated. So we just moved to Bolt when we uh, started deploying the charging network. So it was just like the app would open up. It would say powered by RevOS. And then you have their own custom app. And also the speedometer, basically the instrument cluster that you see where you speed and everything, that was digitized. And that has had the actual OS running inside. So we started off with just one variant of the OS. Now we have multiple OSs that we support, like from a basic dot matrix OS to a full-blown Android version of it. And are drivers then mounting these on their handlebars and using this as they drive? Or what's the use case for from a driver perspective? Yeah, so they don't mount anything on the handlebar. Our solution gets integrated when the vehicle is manufactured. So that's why it takes a lot of time, took us a lot of time to even get into a supply chain, right? So because you have to prove the product, you have to test it for like 10,000 miles or something like that on road to test the stability and everything. So when the vehicles roll off the assembly line, our OS is already a part of the vehicle. Just like once you get a handset which has Android, it already has it once it's assembled. Got it. And so then the the driver is... You can engage with this in an app on their smartphone, but they're not doing it while they drive. They're, you know, using it to control the bike, you know, in terms of setting up features and you said speed meters and things like that uh, separately from while they're actually behind the handlebars. Yeah. So the idea was it should allow for two things. It should allow for riders to not take out their phones while they're riding the bikes because that's very dangerous, right? So you see all the call notifications, navigation guidance. If there is any error in your bike, it'll tell you, hey, this is wrong. You have some temperature error, throttle error. It'll keep running diagnostics in the background nonetheless, right? And once they are off the bike, they can do some smart things. If you want like follow me home headlamps, you want to set up the sensitivity of the theft lock, you set up you want to change the acceleration or the torque curve of the vehicle, everything is at your disposal. We started off with a very wide feature set, but now we have restricted the feature set that we give to make it more consumer friendly and simple, basically. But yeah, the possibilities are endless, yeah. Yeah, intriguing go-to-market. And so then you have this install base across OEMs, at some point you say, hey, let's build a, a charger network. So t- tell me how, because that's what I think of Bolt as, is like, you know, the, the largest EV charger network in India. So it's fascinating that you started with a software play. So t- tell me how you've expanded on with the hardware and charger side. Absolutely. When we started, we always, like, we were very clear on the vision that we only want to build software, but no one really 
built the hardware for us because we're too young, right? And we didn't have any purchasing power, any volume. So we built our own hardware. Took us about two to three years to build it, to prove it. So I'll give you an example of Amazon. When they launched Alexa, they launched with their own speaker, right? You have to show the market that it works with your own hardware. So that's the approach we took. And I think when we started in, uh, I think, January 2017, our first launch happened in India in 2019, December 2019. Maybe the perfect timing. After that, you know, COVID struck and everyone is just sitting at home. And all our uh, efforts of two, three years, all the incredible IP we had really built, we couldn't deploy the bikes, right? It was a very tough time. So in the meantime, what we really focused on was building extra modules on top of the OS. Like if you have a smart bike, you can always put it on a fleet. You can always share it with others. You can always have better insurance. You can always have financing financing tied up into it. So we built all these modules. And obviously, we saw that EVs aren't going to really solve for themselves if there is no charging infra. But we looked at a lot of players. Like we looked at America and, you know, people uh, like developed countries where EV adoption was really picking up and Tesla was, you know, really making the waves back then. And I think even bigger waves right now. But I think the, you know, the momentum had shifted kind of if you look at from a consumer mindset that EVs are really practical, right? So... To build the charging network, we saw that it requires a lot of investment and all the charging infrastructure, all the solutions when it comes to charging that were present in India, they were very expensive. I think the nearest, we tried searching for a basic charging point, which could just charge a two-wheeler, right? And it was costing about $1,000. That's the cost of the bike. Like who, who's going to put a charging infra that cost as much as a bike or sometimes it costs even more. And the very interesting thing about two-wheelers is that for every car sold in India, 10 two-wheelers are sold, right? And in a country like India, all the fuel country our country uses, 70% of it is consumed by two-wheelers, right? So they make up for the lion's share of, you know, the energy that is consumed by the transport division. Are they mostly diesel or regular gasoline? Gasoline. Petrol. Gasoline. Okay. Gasoline, yeah. 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 And the energy requirements really for a two-wheeler is maybe 150th or 100th of a car, right? It takes lesser power than your air conditioner or geyser. And we just couldn't understand why people are selling, you know, charging solutions which cost so much and are built for cars. That, that stat is a is an EV stat or a, an ICE two-wheeler stat? That's an uh, EV stat. Like an EV the, stat, yeah. Yeah, so... Because even, even ICE two-wheelers obviously use a significantly less petrol than a four-wheel yes, car. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But in general, like, there are two things. First of all, they are way more efficient even in, when it comes to ICE vehicles. But with EVs, the results are even compounded because it's a better technology, just more efficient that way, if you look at it. So, yeah, and we so now coming back to the point, we saw that if it takes lesser power than your AC and your geyser, why do you need... And you can power your air conditioner or, you know, your uh, heater using your household power supply. Why do you need this special infrastructure? It should be way more affordable. You know, so IoT-based sockets were, I think, have been in the market for about 15, 20 years. I think we launched in October 2020. So we thought anyone who's buying an EV today is anyway putting a basic 15 amp socket that you have in your house. That's where they are charging their EVs, right? The only thing that you really need is to enable those people to share that charging point with others when they are not using it, right? So that's how Bolt came into play. It was also an additional source of revenue for us because we could sell hardware and, you know, survive in the difficult times of COVID. And we saw that there is no special infrastructure required. You just need a MCB, like, you know, a circuit breaker on top of a socket, and you're good to go with some basic IoT. And 
95% of the times the charging point have you you have in your home you're not using it anyway so if you let's say you even share even 10% of that 95% of the time it's unused you solve it for others as well so kind of you know making a technology that enables people to become a part of the solution rather than saying you know there are no charging points there is no shared charging infrastructure and it's expensive to set up charging infrastructure so we had this approach of having a peer to peer network talk about the speed of charging on a you know a 15 amp behind you know just behind the meter you know sort of aftermarket device relative to you know a $1000 charge point is the same that's the reason why we were so confused why is it so expensive because there is enough juice that comes out of 15 amp socket that can charge any two wheeler in maybe one hour or less than one hour the constraints are really on the adapters that comes with the ev charger and the battery chemistry and the circuitry inside the ev so if you kind of compare it with smartphones we always compare evs with smartphones like the generation one of smartphones came with swappable batteries and had very bad charging times and drained very fast but look at us now it takes hardly 30 minutes to juice up an entire android phones and all come with fixed batteries so it's only a matter of time when the battery chemistry and all these things evolve and we should be able to charge with these sockets currently it takes about 3 to 4 hours to completely top up an ev based on battery capacity but it, the constraint is really on the circuitry of the ev and once fully charged a typical ev if you're you know a delivery driver and you're driving it all day can you do a, a full day on a on one charge or are you needing to charge multiple times over the course of a day depends on the driver i think uh, a typical ev would give you about 80 to 100 kilometers of range a typical ev so maybe it's not enough for a delivery driver but only the top delivery drivers really drive around 200 kilometers so a lot of like in fact if you see right now in a city like bangalore like all the delivery drivers have have switched to evs because it has immense cost savings but however the solutions that they are really using right now are battery swapping things so as and when you know vehicle range increases and it goes about more than 200 kilometers i don't think there is going to be any need for you know swapping if you really look at it and let's hit this a little bit from a climate perspective i'm sure you know some listeners are saying ah the grid in india is so dirty you know they're not net zero till 2070 like you know are we just stealing from one point of dirty emissions in ice vehicles to now having electric two wheelers that are running on coal power like help me understand i mean i know i have a perspective here but i'm curious how you all have thought about that as well yeah so I think there is a misconception also a little bit that India uses a lot of coal to pro, uh, you know produce this electric electricity in fact I would say the amount of electricity that is generated from renewable sources in India is close to 40% because there are two things our country has really invested in hydro projects you know dams we have a lot of rivers a lot of water flowing through the country it's it's a peninsula so really blessed that way geographically and also it's a tropical country sun shines all, all the time right so in fact if you look at india is very bullish on you know the ev in terms of green energy we have airports in kerala that are entirely powered by solar so really making very you know we are taking big leaps as a country when it comes to renewable it's just an optics perspective that that we are burning a coal without burning too much coal we do burn coal but we have a very significant chunk of electricity that is coming from renewables fantastic so let, let me make sure we can really press on the business model of bolt you have consumers who are buying you know who have the os you know built into their oem of the bike that they that they own and you know use the os themselves they can purchase i believe their own charge point for their own house and just 
charge themselves, they can share it with neighbors. So if I'm a consumer owner who has a charge point, can I also make money loaning out my charge point to other people? And then how does that compare to an actual charge point operator like a business that may have both installed? Absolutely. I think that was one of the key considerations when we launched this thing. So I think when telecom revolution really took place in India, you had a lot of these mom and pop stores who had like a small PCO box. You could just put a coin and it gave them passive income, right? And those mom and pop stores do, did all the hard work by themselves. They got the line set up and everything. So as a user, when you buy a bolt charging point, you can obviously charge your own vehicle. You can set when the when the charger would be private, when it would be public, or it would be restricted amongst your friends, basically groups, essentially. And it's totally up to you what price you really want to set. We don't have any control over the pricing. We feel with so much ubiquity going ahead, if a charger is shipped with every bike, I think game theory will sol solve the pricing issues by themselves. And so do you help me understand what my current local cost of electricity is so that I can at least have a baseline of how much I should be charging to charge so that I'm not going underwater with renting out my, my charge point? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's the same app. It's called the Bolt TV Charging Network app. It's the same app for the consumer, for the user and the host, both. So the host has a section called My Chargers, where you get to see how many bookings have happened on your charger in a particular amount of time and how much you have spent how much cost you've incurred in order to dispense that electricity so that you can set your rates accordingly. And, and I don't know, you know a lot about how the electrical utilities work in India. Do you, have, do you have to have partnerships with utilities to understand the cost of electricity at any given moment? No, it's, it's simple. We give the, like when they're setting up a charger, we ask the user, hey, how much do you pay per kilowatt per unit of electricity? And based on that, their own calculations, we give their input, we give the calculation back to them. Okay. And then the, the reason to have the ability to kind of program when the charge point is available for others to use, just so you don't come home from work and have some random person sitting in your, in your charge point charging up. Yeah. So like a charging point, which is public all the time would lead to a lot of, you know, nuisance inside uh, near your house also. So if it doesn't show up on the map at a particular time, it solves for you, right? Oh, got it. So you have a map that shows all the real-time active charge points that I could use as a, as a consumer. Yes. And you also get to see things that, like, since we are deploying at such an immense pace, like the nearest competition is maybe one-tenth of what we are doing, right? So there would be a lot of charging points which are not functional. It happens with even the expensive ones that are being set up, right? There is, a, you know, information right on the app. Whenever you select a charging point, hey, when was this charging point used? Lastly, so that you have some confidence, there is an option to call the host right there before you go and navigate there to check, hey, I'm, I'm going to be coming here. Is the charging point working or not, et cetera, et cetera. Is electricity there? So all the concerns can be addressed before you take that decision of going to a charging point. And do you have, do you have to maintain a fairly large maintenance profile on these charge points in the event that there's an issue with one or it stops working? Or is that just a, essentially a consumer warranty that they, you know, that they deal with at that point to return the hardware? Yeah, so it comes with a standard one-year warranty that you have with any gadget or uh, socket, if you look at it. So, yeah, it's a standard socket. That's it. Okay. What about regulations? Are there are there any regulatory hurdles that you have to overcome to just go with a direct-to-consumer model like this? No, not really. Indian government has re-regulated putting charging points as long as you have a commercial connection. So all the mom and pop stores, uh, you know, residential apartments, you know, condos, there is a concept of uh, residential apartments, which is very popular in India. So it's like a semi-private or public space, if you look at it. So they have their own electricity. So they 
they have the, the liberty to put their charging points. All the mom and pop stores have the option to put these charging points. And when it comes to me as an individual user giving it to you as my friend or someone who's visiting my house, I can just add them to a restricted network. So it only shows up to it only shows up to for my friends, not for everyone else. And then I've seen you all have announced partnerships with you know, retail chains with government, et cetera. I, I assume those business models work a little bit differently where you're, you're working with them on some kind of aggregate pricing model, or is it all still just on a per charge point basis? So how it really works is we honestly feel charging points should become commodity. That's why we launched Bolt. There is no rocket science in making a socket that works with IoT. That has been solved maybe two decades ago, right? But because no one was really making it for us, we were, hey, we'll make it ourselves and give it. So our idea, when it comes to any government deployment or anything like that, obviously you make some money on the charging point or whatever it is, but we have multiple models. So either the customer can choose for the CMS, the app, the SaaS part of it, they can pay us for the SaaS part of it, but they are always free to choose the pricing that they like. We don't want to control the pricing because we believe if you are the owner of, if you are the one providing the service, you should be in charge of pricing. So we do have plans, you know, coming in the future where we'll suggest, hey, this is the pricing you should put so that more people come to your charging point to, you know, just aid and increase the business what these people get. But right now it's just like you can choose whatever you really like. And I assume you're an operating system, so you have, you're sitting on just hordes of data, both around individual bike performance, around, you know, performance from one OEM to another, comparative performance, around, you know, range performance. Is there a data business for you as well in all of this? And how do you manage sort of privacy and, and whatnot if there is? Absolutely. I think that's a great question, Cody. So I think data is going to be crucial in the long run because you need to you can do things like you can generate maps with the data that you get. You can give the option to the user, hey, if you really want to participate, if you share your anonymous data, you'll get some, you know, you'll get some monetary incentive just for riding your bike, right? So we we plan to put that option to users working with OEMs. And when it comes to handling OEMs data, we have two models. If you really have the budget, we can go for a separate corporate deployment where you own the servers and everything. But for smaller OEMs, they do not want to pay that cost. And all of the EV OEMs, there are big players who might want a corporate deployment, but enterprise deployment, if you really look at it. But the option that we really provide them is that your data is going to be residing with us. If you want it to be forwarded to your servers, we'll do that so that you have a copy of it. And the offering that we really give them is that we will give you anonymized reports of the entire industry if you choose to participate in this program, if you choose to share your data. So it's up to one OEM to other. So Anyway, we give insights on our dashboard. Hey, your bike is doing well in this region, maybe not well in this region because there is too much temperature, you know, there is too much salt. It's if it's near, you know, beach, there's too much salt and, you know, that salt is really detrimental to EV's performance. Anyway, those analysis on a per OEM basis, but we leave that option open to them. If you choose to participate in this collective, this common corpus of data, you will get some extra information These info that these components are doing really well in this geography. These components aren't doing well. This battery is good. This controller does well until this load. So all the all really, really, really minute data, which really lets you tune your supply chain and you know make a better product. All that data is very, very valuable to the you know 
uh, OEM. And then there is obviously the financing part of it. Here's a normal vehicle, you get it at X percent interest. Here is a Bolt OS enabled vehicle, you get it at X minus 0.5, 0.2, I don't know, X minus Y percent, something like that, right? Because the more secure asset, you can control the speed, you can lock, you can do pretty much anything that you really like. So then there's that. And in the long run, what we really want to do is collect all this data and build good financial models so that insurance and financing can be can become much more affordable for EVs. Because right now, the demand for EVs in India is huge. If you want to buy a two-wheeler or a four-wheeler, you have to wait, I think, five to six months at least, right? Why people are not able to buy? First of all, obviously, the supply chain. And second is they know they want an EV, but they simply do not have the purchasing power. Right. So how do you do that? For that, you have to give confidence to the financiers that, hey, I let you monitor and track and control this asset in case the payments don't go through. And I'll also build this data pipeline in the long run where you can look at what components degrade, how over time, how the battery pad degrades, how the value of the vehicle deteriorates so that they can build those financial models and come up with a very nice insurance, which is way more customer friendly. It's interesting. And, and, you know, based on all that, especially local data or even component level data that you have, I'm guessing the total cost of ownership of a, a you know, an EV plus Bolt relative, to, say, comparative to an ICE vehicle is actually even for the same OEM may differ by geography just based on, you know, things like you said, like weather or other environmental factors. And you're actually able to help presumably these OEMs help their potential customers understand what the TCO, the total cost of ownership might be in their local geo to help them make the, the buy decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's the intention behind. So like I mentioned, when I was giving my introduction, Cody, that Bolt is in the business of making technologies and infrastructure that accelerate EV adoption. So for that, you need data, you need to enable the charging infrastructure at a fraction of a cost. You need to enable the OEMs to build better products. Because if you look at it in the long run, Cody, the service industry is going to become zero when EVs come. There is not much to repair, right? So you have to make a very compelling product that sells just by being a very good product. And then the OEM should have the option to sell things like subscriptions on top of that, like kind of what Volkswagen is doing with Electrify America, right? You buy a Volkswagen vehicle and you get to charge anywhere on the Electrify America network. So these subscriptions and personalizations would become way more valuable as we move from, you know, ICE vehicles to EVs. So that's another, what do you say, opportunity, like they are losing, they, that uh, servicing industry is going for a toss. So where the additional revenue of, uh, you know, a stream of revenues come from? That's going to come from software and subscription. And, you know, I've seen other models in emerging markets. I mean, not even just emerging markets, but, you know, you have companies like Gogoro in Taiwan. And we've seen a few. We actually had Mozzie Mobility on the pod a couple of weeks ago, which is, you know, another company that's building essentially this battery swapping model. So their perspective on emerging markets is, hey, the biggest cost of the EV is the battery. So what if we ship batteryless chassis and build a business model around the battery itself. I'm curious how you see those playing out. And if you see that being market dependent, if there's, I mean, I assume there's room for both a, a bolt like strategy and a battery swapping like strategy in the world. But you know, you clearly have, have probably had to pay attention to those different go to market models as well. Absolutely. I think it's a great question, Cody, when swapping versus charging is probably the biggest debate right now, if you look at it in the EV world. One of our investors in our company is Mr. Chetan Maini, who built the electric Reva and is championing Sun Mobility, the company that's leading on battery swapping. So we know where battery swapping will solve the needs and also the challenges. So 
battery swapping is really important because it empowers the fleets right now people who are doing logistics and delivery boys they don't have a time to charge they don't have that much time right so it's solved for them immediately and because those bikes are pretty much standardized like all delivery bikes are going to look pretty much one or pretty much the same so the probability back getting standardized when it comes to logistics is very high i would say but when it comes to the consumer market like a b2c kind of a thing the idea is i still support the idea that battery swapping solves a lot of issues takes away you know half the cost of the vehicle and everything but it's taking away half the cost of vehicle from the oem as well and all the ip that they are building in battery tech so they are really really reluctant about you know battery swapping all the big oems like tesla did it i think some 7 8 years ago they went back on it Ather is not doing it. Ola is not doing it because they want they want that control over first over the BMS and the battery IP that would be built is very core to the OEM. So it makes absolute sense right now in logistics, but OEMs are very reluctant to get into battery swapping because there are two ways it can happen. Either you will have a lot of battery swapping companies which are incompatible with each other, right? That doesn't solve for anyone, right? or you have a double a or a triple a equivalent of a battery that you have right now for a remote control and xbox that version of that kind of a standardization but the day that happens all the core ip is lost from the oems well i think that's my favorite part of where we are at this point in in the deployment of evs is you know there there seem to be some tried and true models that are working in you know the united states and europe and north america but it feels like in many other parts of the world we're just scratching the surface of of figuring out what these markets are going to look like you know especially when you look at two and three wheeler evs where you you said you know it's not like it's not like there are five or six oems that are out there that are dominating market share like you said there are hundreds of oems and so it feels like figuring out a solution for the market is going to take a while and likely you know there will be different solutions in different markets and I'm I'm curious for you in that regard, you know, you've gone to market heavily in India, which makes sense. That's where you're based. That's the market you know. But I believe you already have trials in some other markets around the world. And, you know, I'm curious how you think about the expansion of Bolt from a global perspective. Absolutely. So one of the key advantages that we really have when we started on this journey is that, like I was telling you about our days of going to China and integrating our software there. So we are already sitting at, you know, the source of the distribution when it comes to wherever these EVs would be sent. So if you drop our egos aside, we know that supply chains cannot be solved in a, you know, month's time. You can't just move the servers and it's a harsh reality and that, you know, it's going to be dependent on the behemoths like China when it comes to it, right? So our plan, or we are already live in Africa in multiple countries. We are doing our pilots right now in Thailand, Indonesia, everywhere. Thanks to our Chinese connects, they make these vehicles. Everyone is buying from China. And as and when these vehicles get shipped, our software gets shipped along with the vehicle. So that's how we look at it. But India in, in itself is a huge, huge market. It's like a pretty much a continent, like a subcontinent, but I think it's like so many countries combined. So we are heads down focused on India right now, but we do plan to expand. I think next one or two years, we'll start focusing on, you know, expanding to Southeast Asia, all the emerging markets like Africa, South America, where, you know, cost is really what really drives these decisions. So to give you an example, people who really switched to EVs first in India, were, you know, these e-rickshaw guys who were ferrying, you know, passengers from one metro station to other metro station. Because 
they were doing maybe like 2000 bucks a day or something like that. And all of a sudden their running cost is one fifth, right? So that is why people get it that they really, really want EVs. It's just they're like the total cost of ownership right now is maybe 10% more for a two wheeler and three wheeler, but the running cost is practically, I think one tenth or one fifth or one sixth something in multiples, not in percentages, if you look at it. Define what you mean by running costs. Help me understand that. So like the cost you pay per mile, like compared to what you pay for a nice vehicle, at least one fifth, in some cases, even one tenth, if you really look at it, right? So that really, you know, influences the decision of the rider. Hence the need to get good financing upfront terms on the purchase, right? Absolutely. Everyone knows, everyone really knows, like if you go to any village tier two, tier three cities in India, they know that they want to get an EV because they know they can always charge at home. They don't have to go to any petrol bunk ever, right? And it will cost them huge cost, right? Even people who ride bicycles right now, why they don't buy a petrol-based vehicle is that, okay, I'll buy a second-hand vehicle, but the running cost is too high. But if they get an electric vehicle, which is like maybe an electric bike or maybe a simple scooty, there is no maintenance and the running cost is now practically zero. So, it- so, so if TCO may be slightly higher, but if, I, if I'm living month to month on a cash flow budget basis, my goal is to try to get my monthly budget as low as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And like people who are using these vehicles, specifically the e-rickshaw drivers and, you know, the delivery boys, they are just renting out these vehicles, right? And they are just outright cheap when it comes to, you know, any ice-based vehicle, any rental vehicle you could get on ice. So we are seeing this the same happen in Africa, Indonesia, Vietnam, like all the Southeast Asia, like wherever you see bikes, I think EVs are going to come much sooner than later because when you make one car, I think you can make 10 bikes out of the same material. Is the market expansion strategy to go to market with the embedded OS via the OEMs to start without even needing the charge point rolled out to begin with in that local economy? Or do you try to do you try to ship everything at once? No, it's going to be a mix. So the way we really position ourselves as a charging point operator is that we do have offerings for cars and you know fast charging as well. You can access those. We'll be expanding that network also uh, shortly. But the way we have positioned ourselves is that will be sold with every vehicle as an accessory. Just like you have a spike buster for your laptop and you're to protect your mobile phones and everything, it's a spike buster for your bike, right? You buy it with your bike. If it has an OS, it's great. Anyway, you have a charging point. So if an OEM sells our charging point, we can always convince them to sell our OS because then it's better integration. Then you don't even have to scan, pay or do anything. If the vehicle has our OS and the charger has our OS, the vehicle simply needs to come near the charging point. It'll turn itself on. They'll talk to each other, exchange key parameters like temperature, you know, cell SOC and all those things to provide a really, really safe charging experience. So that's the ultimate experience if you look at it like kind of an Apple ecosystem. But if they buy OEM, we can all always push our charging points with the vehicle. And if they put our charging point, we can always upsell our OS as well. And today, are you manufacturing the charging points in India or are you, do you have some global supply chain constraints on manufacturing as well? We supply the entire charging points in India, but when it comes to the operating system and the speedometer chipset, which are way more complex, we get the components from China and we get them assembled somewhere in India by the one of the EMS manufacturers. But for any global, because India has some really import rules because they want to, you know, encourage EV manufacturing in-house and indigenize the supply chain. Otherwise, it's, it's going to be very difficult to solve for a country at the scale 
like India, right? So in India, we get the components and assemble them here. For the global market, they just ship it directly from China. That's it. So you started as a you know a software business. Now you have this hardware component. As a venture investor, I can do the math. That means you need some pretty significant funding to back the hardware component of the business you're building. Let's talk about the financing history of the company. So we raised about $4 million back in, I think, March or April. Back then, our company was in India. Then we were... Uh, 2021? 2021, yeah. So we moved to Singapore to remain in a more neutral location so with that we could just, you know, not get caught up in the conflict between the big nations. So that's the most diplomatic place we could really be. So we got that. The money really hit our account. The entire restructuring took about six months. And then we quickly raised another $20 million in December again from existing investors and their LPs. Fantastic. For the hardware component, do you feel like you'll also need to raise some debt capital to fund operations or are you to date you're funding everything with venture dollars no it depends it depends on the kind of business that we are entering if it's a consumer product like a bolt charging point that is supposed to be sold with your vehicle in that case it's a pure play distribution business right the product has to sell for itself the standard distribution model whatever it's there so you make some x percent of margin on the hardware that has to be a profitable business otherwise the cost of setting up charging infra is too high for a country to bear, right? So that is why it has to become a commodity. That is one thing. But if it if it comes at things like, hey, deploy 100, 100 fast chargers for us, if you give, give us that kind of a model, then we would rather go and explore, you know, debt-based financing or something like that, where the buyer gives us a minimum guarantee of the transaction on per month, and then you can get the debt-based financing. And honestly, in the long run, we do not want to make hardware. We want to make schematics and reference diagrams, which other people can see and make their own hardware. We even plan to, we give our software just like that. You take it. Like our hardware design is anyway open source. We don't- So in, in an, an ideal world, the Belkins of the world and whatnot are building yeah, the future yeah, of the charge. Make it yourself. Make it yourself. Like there is an architecture. We have open sourced the schematics. We have open sourced the Gerbers and everything. So- Anyone can make an hardware. Our idea is become to really become the Android or Alexa of the world where the SDK can run on any hardware. We started building hardware because no one built it for us, Cody. <laughs> Back when we were too young. <laughs> and what's the, what are the next big assumptions to sort out? What are the big hypotheses that you don't know the answer to yet? Yeah, I think what's going to be really interesting is that we've seen the traditional charge point you know operation business mature in in developed countries like america europe everywhere right we really need to see how we can create a network that is maintained by the community it's a shared how do you incentivize the shared upkeep of a network how do you reward the early participants how do you reward people who took this journey early with us right and how does how does the experience really look like because a lot of chargers also mean a lot of them might not work because maybe someone is not coming it's up to the user so how do you solve for that how do you incentivize user behavior how do you generate demand and all those things so like even in a country like Norway, like where the EV infrastructure has caught up with the EV sales, the top utilization of the network is maybe 30% on a very good day, right? So public charging is going to take some time for the revenues to kick in. We want to see whether this shared network upkeep is going to bring enough value and is sustainable or not. That's what we're trying to experiment with. Fantastic. Mohit, what should I have asked that I haven't asked? 
I think your podcast has been really great. I think you're really exhaustive with your questions. Uh, <laughs> you're <yeah>. tired. <laughs> <laughs> it is late at night for you. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like that. We are already working on, you know, solutions that would allow you to charge your bike in one hour with the same bolt charging point. We are working on fast charging technologies with the OEMs because for that you need the OS chops. If you're not building the operating system, the vehicle and charger are not talking to each other. It's going to be very difficult. So that is some, some cool tech to really watch out for. I think we'll have something in maybe a quarter or so where you can charge your vehicle real fast just with the bolt charging point in one hour. And how can the MCJ community who's listening to this, how can they help? We've got people listening here who are engineers. We've got people listening here who are product people. We've got people listening who are working in finance, work in policy. Where do you all need the most help right now? Well, we need some exposure. Like we had, we had like zero marketing until for like five years. It was just 15 engineers and and Jyoti was all things sales, everything. So we just started with the marketing. If some people could just spread the word and we are also actively hiring for key engineering roles and things like that. So yeah, just l- would like our voices to be heard that we are doing something interesting in India. And if this concept of shared building a charging infrastructure, which is, which is built by the community and the users of the charging network resonates with anyone and would like to deploy the same charging network in their country, we would like to give it a go. Like I was reading this blog about America that although there are a lot of fast charging points, but there are still queues at the peak hours, People are always waiting, right? You can always put a level two charging point, which is way more affordable, maybe just thousand bucks in a restaurant or something like that. And you can just share it, right? The same concept also applies for us. Much, you know, cost affordable charging point that can be put for cars as well. So the concept is really global. We have tried it on multiple countries. So yeah, if anyone, you know, resonates with our vision, we would really like to work with them. So that's the entire uh, ask of the MCJ. (laughs) Thanks, Mohit. Well, listen, obviously climate change is a global problem. You know, MCJ, we try to highlight solutions that are that are coming to light all around the world. We want to do more and more of that. So thanks for being here and being, I think, our first guest that's truly, really focused on the Indian subcontinent. And, you know, obviously you have plans to expand from beyond there, but it's great to hear how you're taking a solution and making it unique for the market in which you live and operate that potentially has legs to work in many markets all around the world. So thanks for your time today and for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much, Cody. It was a pleasure. Hey, everyone. Jason here. Thanks again for joining me on my climate journey. If you'd like to learn more about the journey, you can visit us at myclimatejourney.co. Note that is .co, not .com. Someday we'll get the .com, but right now, .co. You can also find me on Twitter at jjacobs22, where I would encourage you to share your feedback on the episode or suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear. And Before I let you go, if you enjoyed the show, please share an episode with a friend or consider leaving a review on iTunes. The lawyers made me say that. Thank you. Thank you.